So what God has been teaching me this past week, uh, this past month, um, is that the fear-filled person cannot love deeply. You see, if I were to tell you my greatest fear, I would tell you my greatest fear is my wife. You're thinking, what? But that's the truth. And here, I could say it in a better way. I'm afraid that I might hurt my wife. Does that make it better? I'm afraid that I might disappoint my wife. Does that make it better? Right? So now I'm redeeming myself. Right? <laughs> I'm afraid of my wife. I'm afraid that I might um, do something to just hurt her. And you're like, oh, that's not bad. Right? The fear. You should be afraid of that. But you see, what I discovered through this whole month is that that fear is not that I'm afraid of my wife. I mean, afraid of hurting my wife. I'm afraid of hurting my wife and she hurts me back. Right? I'm afraid of disappointing my wife because I don't want her to disrespect me. I don't, I'm afraid to hurt my wife to, to do something to my wife where she disrespects me, where she is disappointed in me, where she looks down on me, where she belittles me. You see, the fear is not about my wife. The fear is about me. Does that make sense? And so when we think about fear, we think about what, it could, what could happen to us. And what God has taught me this past month is that the fear-filled person cannot love deeply. Next month, Carol and I are going to be married for 19 years. In, in my mind, I don't know, where, you know what you would think about 19 years of being married. In my mind, being married for 19 years, I would think we're a lot deeper than where we have been. Yeah, we're a lot deeper, but not where I think we should be. And oftentimes I would tell Carol, I don't know how to love. What is wrong with me? I even asked God, God, show me how to love. Break me. About six years ago, I asked God to break me because I just feel like I'm such a dumb person who doesn't know how to love. You know what I mean? Like, I want to love you, but I just don't know how. Right? And so through this struggle, I discovered that I am not capable of loving her deeply because I'm afraid of her. Not even just afraid of her. I'm afraid of what she thinks of me, how she views me, what she says to me. I'm afraid for myself, really. So it's really a selfish fear. But oh yeah, I can make it look like she's a bad person and I'm just awesome. I, I don't want to hurt her. I don't want to disappoint her. All the good things, right? But it's really about me. And God has revealed that to me and I'm, I'm still, it's so fresh. I'm still trying to figure out how to handle all that. But what that came down to be is fear. I think the greatest thing that Satan works in my life, the greatest tool that he's used in my life is fear. Because of fear, I learned to not go deeply into relationships. Because I'm afraid they might know. You would not believe how scary it is for me to stand up here to admit to you that way. I've rehearsed it in my mind multiple times. And I'm still shaking just sharing that with you. Because my fear is that you'll lose respect for me. You'll be disappointed in me, that you'll look down on me. And so it prevents me from opening up. But you know what's so amazing is that the Bible tells us that in order for us to be healed from our condition, right, in order to be healed emotionally and spiritually, we have to confess our sins. James 5:18 says, Confess your sins to one another, pray for each other so that you may be healed. I think a lot of people are never healed from emotional scars and all and sinful behaviors because they never confessed to anyone. 
And that's why I believe so much in our small groups. You know, when I shared that with my small group, I, I, I was just blown away at how they handled it. And I was as scared sharing with you, with them as I did with you. And I shared with them in more details. But they loved me. We stood up and they prayed for me. And it, you would not believe how deeply that touched me. I've never had anyone do that for me before. Yes, I'm still guilty. It doesn't make me better. It was still a really dumb thing to do. And I hope I'll never get to that point ever again. But you see, it's the fear that causes me to do that. A fear-filled person cannot love deeply. And that's where I realized that I am not able to love my wife deeply because I'm afraid of her. Afraid of what might, she might say, what she might think, what she might do. If I open myself up, she might look down on me. If I look, open myself, and she, you know, the, to, for the record, the past 20-something years of us knowing each other, she hasn't done that to me. I don't know why and where I got that from. She hasn't really just belittled me. She hasn't done any of that stuff. But I, I grew up with this fear of being, if I open up, somebody's going to just jab at me. Someone's going to make fun of me. Someone's going to, and especially my wife. Of all the people in the world, the, wor the voice that matters to me most is my wife. And because her voice means so much to me, it makes me so afraid to be vulnerable. It doesn't even make sense. But she is the one that I want to love more than anyone else on the planet. But if I don't ever open up and become vulnerable, that will never happen. You see how it's, it's just such a weird cycle that you stop one thing, it will never happen that way. I'm afraid she might get mad. So I don't confront her about things that she does wrong. I'm afraid she might look down on me so I don't confess anything. I want her to think about me in a certain way. And there she is just like, I want you to love me. I want to love you. But it's just this, this wall. And so a picture that I came up in my mind of us being that way, that when we are afraid of each other, we build up walls, right? And that's why we all walk around with facades because I don't want you to think a certain way about me. So I put up a face. I wear a mask. I walk around a wall. So imagine a couple, a husband and wife, married together and they have a wall that they have built in between. And so when they take a walk down the park, they hold hands over the fence. Does that make sense? Right? That's what happens when we build a wall. And the wall is because of our fear. And so this is how I walk with my wife. And she's like, hey, how's it going over there? Right? She's on that side and she's over here. And I'm over here and we walk hand in hand over a wall in a relationship, whether it's between you and me and all of us in this room, or between our husband and wife, if we build that wall, that's what's going to happen throughout entire marriage. Let me tell you, for 19 years, I wish we could be a lot deeper. And I hope that this one thing will break down that wall and just say, look, I'm here. You can hurt me. I'm vulnerable to you. But I want to be vulnerable to you. It's hard to hug somebody across the wall, isn't it? Impossible. First um, John 4.18, let's read this together. This is such a good verse. First John 4.18. You ready? You guys got it? First John 4.18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. 
because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Wow. There is no fear in love. Now we take that and we apply it, put that grid over into all the different relationships. It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? When people are afraid of God, they don't have a deep relationship with God. And when we come to God, if you are still afraid of God, you're still fearful of God, your relationship with God has not grown very much. You have to move past that relationship into a relationship of love. Does that make sense? And now we apply that relation that there's no fear in love into our marriage, into our friendship. If you have, you're hanging out with a friend and you're afraid to confront a friend with a big gigantic elephant in front of you, there's really no love in that relationship, is there? Because fear makes us afraid. Because you're thinking, man, if I, if I were to confront my friend with that issue, with that thing, I'm going to lose my friend. Well, you know what? The longer you hold it off, the longer you're going to lose your friend in the longer term, right? What's the point? Lose it now or lose it later. But we don't want that. We'd rather just, oh, let's just fake it, have some coffee, talk about work, talk about the weather, go home. And you feel like, man, we missed something. Hung out for an hour and we didn't get anywhere with that relationship. It's because we're afraid to confront and to confess. And the Bible says the two ways to build relationship is to confront front and to confess. And so because of fear, we live in shadow, shallow relationships, boring, flat conversations. We build up facades, right? We're afraid to confront wrongs and confess our sins. Um, fear builds up walls, makes us bitter and resentful towards people when they hurt us because we don't confront, right? We're making ourselves shameful because we don't confess. And we become legalistic and distant. But Satan puts fear in all of us to hinder us, to stop us from living the full life that Jesus Christ has for us. So today I want to talk, go over the 10 fears there. I'm going to combine it into three categories because we only have time for that. Um, three common fears for all of us. But I'm going to read to you from uh, Mark chapter 4. I'll just tell you the story. It's a very simple. You've heard the story many times. This is the story of Jesus calming the storm. Three, um, from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 40, 41, if you want to follow along. And verse 35 says, that, that day when evening came, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. So just as, as a little background, Jesus is with a lot of people. He's been teaching what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and he's been healing people. So thousands of people, probably, we don't know, lots and lots of people, were there meeting with Jesus, needing help from Jesus, and he was helping them, healing them, opening their eyes, healing the cripple, and he's teaching them this wonderful way of changing life and changing your ways to come and live the way God wants you to live and all that stuff, and it's a full day. Can you imagine a full day of just talking, teaching, and it must have been draining. Towards the evening, he told his disciples, hey, let's go to the other side. So along the way, as soon as they got into the boat, there are other boats uh, with them. They got into the boat. Jesus went and took a nap. I think that's the awesomest thing in the Bible. Jesus took a nap. That, you know, how many of you guys take naps? Anybody? Do you feel guilty taking naps? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I take naps and I feel so guilty. There's always stuff to do. My kids are around. The food to be made and the house to be clean. I just have, oh, but, you know, sometimes I knock out. Jesus took naps, okay? The next time you feel guilty about taking a nap, it's okay. Jesus took a nap, 
And so he went down below and he took a nap. And then the storms came and the, Bi the Bible says a furious squall. You know, this, you know, you've seen pictures. I've never been in a furious squall, but I've been in a boat where it's rocked and I thought we we're going to die. Um, and it's probably nothing compared to this, but they said that the, the waves came over the boats and got into the ship and everything, and they thought they were going to die. And there, Jesus was napping. And so the disciples went and says, Lord, don't you care that we're all going to die? And Jesus got up and he says, don't you, why, do you, why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? And he says, be quiet, be still, and the waves is... So I want to show you the three types of fears that we run into. The first one is the fear of the other side. question is, what is your other side? For Jesus and his disciples, the other side was a brand new territory. They were Jewish people. Now they're going to Gentile territory, people who are non-Jewish. People who are, have a certain type of tradition and they go to somewhere that's completely different than where they have been. Now think about this. These people are fishermen. They're just not ordinary people who don't know how to, how to um, handle a boat. These people have lived on the boat, probably were born in the boat, right? Because their parents were fishermen and they, that's a trade. So they became fishermen and they're very, very familiar with this territory. But they're, never familiar, they're not familiar with the other side and where they're going. And so Jesus says, let's go to the other side. So the question for you and for me today is, what is your other side? A lot of the fears we can categorize into the other side. The fear of a new job, fear of a new lifestyle, right? For those who are getting married, the fear of getting married and being married. When the first time, I remember when Carol and I, I lived by myself, and then that we got married and she came over like, that's weird, there's somebody in the house with me. <laughs> that's odd, right? You're, you're going to sleep like, whoa, there's somebody next to me, right? You wake up in the morning, it's just that whole adjustment. It's just hard. And then, you know, and then, yeah, anyways. Uh, <laughs> 19 years later, I'm still like, whoa, there's somebody next to me. <laughs> uh, but the fear on the other side, a new job. Changing jobs is one of the hardest things to do, right? Especially if you've been in a, a position for a long time. Or changing vocations. The ladies who have been, or men who have been in the workforce for a long time, to quit and to go back to school or to take care of the family, becoming a housewife or homemaker, that's a tough transition. Because you think about it, you are so used to a certain way, and now you're going to operate in a very different way. That's the other side. And for many of us, we have, that comes with a lot of anxiety. Starting school, starting school over, or just, you've been in school for so long, you know, you're, you're like a professional student for a long time, and you quit when you're done with school, like, okay, what do I do now? Right? You go and find a job, like, wow, this is different than school. A lot of changes happen. So people who don't have kids, they start having kids. Oh, my, that's a big change. A whole, your whole life will be completely different. And that's scary for a lot of us. And because of that fear, we learn to avoid certain things. We learn to do things that are not that we shouldn't be doing. And we learn to pick up new things, right? But that fear is a real, real fear for all of us. Um, the other side of a relationship is an unknown part. Can you imagine the other side of a relationship? Mm. That is tough because a lot of times, if I, if I have a certain relationship with someone, 
And for me to cross over from that type of relationship into a different kind of relationship, it requires some changes in the both of us and our conversations and our interaction in the time that we spent with each other in order to get to another side of the relationship. I'll come back to that in a little bit. And so verse 36 says, Leaving the crowd behind, they took him, um, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was, fairly, it was nearly swamped. One of the fear of the other side is leaving what's behind. Does that make sense? That when you, you had, you're so used and so, especially for Jesus, the ministry that he had on the other side, where they were, where they came from, it was a really good ministry. There's a lot of people there. People are receptive to what Jesus is teaching and he was healing people. If you look back, all these good things are happening. But now Jesus says, okay, let's leave all that behind and go on. So a lot of people would still be basking in the glory of their past. A lot of times in youth ministry, that happens, right? A lot of us can memorize, the, can remember the times when we're in youth ministry. Oh, I remember that mountaintop experience. You remember that? When you went to camp and it was so good. And you always look back to that time. Always look back to that time. I wish it was like that. The worship, the band was terrible, but the song was awesome, right? We sang and it was so good. You're crying and you don't know why you're crying. Everybody around you are crying and you're looking around like, why is everybody crying? But it, it just feels good to cry because everybody is crying. And right, and you just want to confess everything and you, and you come to God in that moment and that's great and that's awesome. But if you keep going back to that, you're afraid to go forward. A lot of people will look back like, man, they're trying to recreate that. They look for an environment where that is happening. But you know, God is new. God does new things every day. Brand new revival experiences are going to come. That was just one of them. There are many more. All we have to do is just cross to the other side. For us, some other side would be physical location. God may, may want us to move that's a tough one, to uproot your whole family and move to somewhere else, a different community. But that's the other side. But a furious squall came up. Would you be surprised that that gigantic storm that's about to kill them was the work of Satan? I wouldn't be surprised. This is Satan's moment to just put the Son of God to death right on the spot, just bury them in the water all the disciples with them, and then no more Christianity. No more Savior for the world. It's so easy, right? I wouldn't be surprised if that was the work of Satan. Many commentaries that I've read actually believe that that was the work of Satan because it was an unusual thing. The Sea of Galilee is only 12 miles across. A storm that big to almost drown people? Not common. But Satan has the power to do that kind of stuff. And when you're crossing to the other side, Satan will be against you. Believe me. When you want to have a deeper relationship with your friends or with your family or with your spouse, Satan is going to work against you. He's going to drown you. He's going to make you think that you're going to die and you're going to give up. God, we're not going to make it to the other side. I don't, I don't think we even make it halfway, right? But that's what Satan does. He kills our journey to the other side because he knows the other side is where God wants us to be. Number two is the fear of the coming storms. This is the fear of tragedy, fear of bad things happen. 
this is the fear of flying, the, the fear of rats, the fear of spiders, the fear of, sorry, I keep picking on you. I'll, I won't do it anymore. The fear of flying, the fear of public speaking, you know, all these big fear of tragedy. Um, fear of public speaking, believe it or not, is that people are afraid um, to come up here but that they make a mistake, right? The fear, of fa- the fear of failure is part of it. And so you're afraid that you're, you know, you're, Clothes is not well fit, and you know, all sorts of stuff hanging on your face. So all these fear of people may looking, may be laughing at what you're doing, but really, no one really cares, right? Uh, so the fear of the coming storm, the fear of the brewing storm. Things, a lot of times, th- storms that don't even won't even come, but we think that it's going to come, right? We predict the future. We think, oh, I'm going to go do this, and oh, I better not do that because this is going to happen, right? As if we can determine 100% that the future is going to come. But we have the worst case scenario feeling about something, to, uh, something bad is about to happen. And that prevents us from doing so many things in life. The fear of, of falling apart. The fear of, of being out of control. If I go do that, that's, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, and then I'm going to be out of control. Or the fear of um, being left behind. The worst case scenario, being a left, left behind. So... It, you know, if I don't do this, at the end of my life, I'm going to be by myself. If I don't do that, you know, this is what's going to happen. So we take the worst case scenario tragedy and we apply it to our decisions and we stop doing stuff and we start doing something else. That's just fear of the things that could happen. And most of the time, things that could happen, probably not going to happen. But Satan makes it real in our minds that we think it's going to happen. One of the things um, in relational storms, a lot of times we are afraid to confront because we think that it's, they're going to react in a very different way. One of the most scariest things that I've ever done in our marriage is when I, um, earlier on in our marriage, we sat in the car together and uh, I said to Carol, honey, I have something to tell you. You know, whatever comes after that, <laughs> it's going to be crazy. But that was the hardest thing to ever do. You know why? Because in my mind, I thought if I say what I'm about to say after the honey, I have something to tell you, it's going to get ugly. It's just going to be bad news. But you know what? She did not respond in a bad way. And that really has helped me so much throughout the year. That she has opened herself up that way that I can say, honey, I have something bad to tell you. She's like, oh, what else is new? I knew about that already. What are you talking about, right? A lot of times. But we think of the worst case scenario and we apply it to our decisions and we think it's going to be bad. Um, financial storms. Oh my. Sometimes we want to do something and we think, oh, I, I better save up. I better, you know, collect, collect, collect because you know, never going to know what's going to happen next year. It's good to save. There are good things about saving, investing. God tells us to do that. But when you are so focused on that because you're afraid of the future, that is a problem. Right? Because we cannot control the future. The Bible tells us, uh, Jesus told a parable about a rich man who hoards and hoards and hoards because he wants to have a lot. And the Bible says, you fool, tomorrow you're going to die, tonight you're going to die. Now what? Right? What God, Jesus is saying is that you don't know what's going to happen. You don't plan that far and be so focused on that. Be focused on what you have now. One of the things um, that I love about relationships is this thing that I learned a long time ago called the the Canyon of Chaos. I know some of you have heard this many times, so it'll be a review for some, and it'll be brand new information for others. 
So this is a canyon, like the Grand Canyon or some sort. Um, uh, we as people, we hang out here. So there's me, and there's you. A bunch of people hanging out on this side, right? We've known each other. Some of us have known each other for so long, but we are nowhere near at the depth that we should be. And so we are on this side. We're hanging out, and we talk to each other. We get to know, we, like here, right? The next hour or so, we're going to eat together. We're going to have, and then when you leave, you feel like, man, it could have been better. I'm missing something. But you just don't know what it is, right? And so imagine two friends hanging out together. They've known each other for five, six years. And then finally, one friend says, you know, I'm going to go for this. I'm not afraid of what my friend thinks of me. I'm going to say, so let's say this is Carol. Let's just make it a little more real here, right? And so this is me. We're sitting in the car together and said, you know, we've been married for a couple of years now. I'm going to go for this. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to go for it because I want us to be deeper than where we have been. I'm going to say, honey, I have something to tell you. Woo! Everything got quiet. And, and so what could happen is that she says, okay, go ahead. And she tells me, and I hurt her, and she is hurt, and I am sorry, and all that stuff. We go through this whole thing that's called a chaos. I take her through the canyon. And we go through that together, and we come back out here. And you know what's different about out here? We are a lot closer than we were here. The canyon of chaos can do that. Because on this side, as long as we, are, we refuse to go through this canyon of confession and con confrontation, we will always live in a community called pseudo-community. Fake, false, pseudo-relationship, right? We pretend, oh, we're so good. Look, we're best friends on Facebook. We even, we even follow each other on Twitter. She's my Instagram friend, right? Follower, whatever you call those. But that's all pseudo, completely fake, right? Until you get through here, through con confrontation and confession, then you will end up here in true, real relationship. This is the only way that we get there. And Satan does not want us to get here because he puts, and then so he puts the fear in us that you don't want to go through this. This is hard. Why would you want to do this? This is why it's so awesome in a small group because it's so hard to, I mean, I can share with all of you how freaky is that, right? But when there's five, six of us and I could say, hey, I got something to tell you guys. Or like, hey, you know what? I, I need to tell, tell you something. I've been seeing, been seeing this pattern in you. I don't know if you realize this, but this is what you do. And they're like, oh, really? I didn't know that, right? Or sometimes when you talk to somebody right here, hey, I have something to tell you, like, they're like, down way, like, oh, this is getting scary. I think I'm going to go back up. I don't like this, right? So I, let's just stay Instagram friends. Let, let's just keep it Facebook real. And that's why we stay in the fake, fake community. I think a lot of people would rather settle for this, but they know they want this. And the only way, there's no shortcut, the only way is to go through the canyon. Does that make sense? This is the storm. In order to get to the other side, you have to go through the storm. What that storm will do is will teach you about you, 
will teach you about the relationship. It will teach you about God. And the only way to get to true, real relationship and friendship, deeper love, is to go through the storm. Does that make sense? And I think that that's why Satan knows and he stops us. But God is so good to know that even if you have to go through a storm, he uses the storm. So he, let's say the storm is created by Satan. He says, go ahead, use the storm. And he uses that storm as a tool to take us to the other side and where we need to be. And if you sit here and you're thinking, you know what I'm talking about, like, yeah, all my friends, if I count them, they're all Facebook friends, really. Even if I see them every day, they're Facebook friends. If we're honest and true about that, the only way is to get to here. Don't be afraid to confess and confront. The Bible's very clear about building a deeper relationship. Does that make sense? Our goal is to get to know each other deeply so that we can have real friends, real friendship. All right, the third fear, the fear of disapproval. Oh, this one's huge. The fear of not being liked. Oh, man. The fear of disapproval. We don't want to be disliked. Jesus took a nap. He didn't, you, you don't say like, oh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm so tired. I shouldn't have taken a nap. I should have been out here pulling the rope or getting the water out of the boat. No, he came up like, what's wrong with you guys? Where's your faith? Right? Why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? He came up here and he rebuked them. You would think they'll come out, oh man, I'm so unholy. I mean, you know, I hope you don't disrespect me for taking a nap. I was really tired. and He could have made all these excuses, but he didn't. He came up like, guys, where's your faith? Why are you so afraid? He confronts them instead. He wasn't afraid. He didn't care what they were thinking. He took a nap. That is just awesome. I think a lot of times we care so much, too much, about what people think of us too much, that it impacts the way we live, the way we talk, the way we walk, the way we dress, the jobs that we have, the neighborhood we live in, the friends that we have, because we care too much about what people think. The Bible says the only person that you should care about, what they think about you, is God. The audience of one. That's it. And Jesus had his audience, his Heavenly Father. You know what's amazing about the naps? How many of you guys actually have a day off? In our world, it's so rare to have a day off, right? Sundays is when you go do the most. You go shopping, you get up early, you got to clean up the house, you go shopping, do your laundry, and get things ready for the next week. So it's supposed to be a day off, but we don't take the day off, right? We do more on that day off than we do on the non-day off. But the Bible, God himself, one of the top ten commandments is to take a day off. How can you not love a God that tells you to take a day off? So the next time you take a nap, that's sort of like the hour off of the day, okay? So you can feel good about that. But Jesus didn't really care what people think. I found this book. So good. It's called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. It's written by a lady. Um, her name is Bonnie Ware, and she was a hospice nurse. She deals with people in how many weeks? six to 12 weeks, I think, right, before they die. Um, and she, in those courses, she worked for, for a long, long time as a hospice nurse. And she had many conversations with people who are about to die. And she said, it's mind-boggling what people shared with her. And she wrote all five of the fears that people, that, that people who are dying are confessing, five regrets that people had. 
And let me read them to you. All right, so number two is, um, this is shared by so many people. Uh, so these, these five are the ones that were, she categorized them, right, of all the people that are shared. So number two, she said, I wish, uh, people said, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. This is from 100% of all the male clients that she had to deal with, that she took care of. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And this is what they said. Um, what she said, this came from every male patient I nursed. They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. All of the men deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. Ouch. You work so hard, but you could say, oh man, I work hard to provide for my family. Right? I work so hard so that my family could live where they live and go to the kind of school they go to and have, eat the kind of food to, to go out to the certain type of restaurants. I work hard for that. And that's great. But you don't miss the bigger picture. It's your family that you work for. Not work for work. And so 100% of the male shared this. I hope I'm not one of them. On my deathbed, I do not want to say, I wish I had spent more time with my family. I wish I hadn't spent so much time working so hard and missed all of my kids' growing up years, the times with my wife. That's a terrible regret. Here, number one. You want to hear? Ready? Number one, she says, people said, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. The one lady that she shared about, her name is Grace, and she's, I think, in her 80s. All her life, she said, she lived according to what her parents, her brother, her sister, her husband, everybody else in her life expected her to live. She ignored her own wants, her own needs, her own callings, her own passions, just to satisfy people, because she didn't want to disappoint them. She didn't want them to think less of her. That is such tragedy. All your life at the end and you realize, I wish I shouldn't have listened to them so much. But you know, a lot of them, they didn't even say it out loud. It's what you think that they expecting. They expect of you, right? And that's why it's so very important that we don't live in that way of thinking. The fear of disapproval. That's the one fear that can ruin us for a long, long time. The only one, the only approval that we need is from God. If God approves of you, who cares what anybody else thinks, right?